to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. When our backs were against the wall, and it looked as if it was over, you, you made our way. And we're standing here only because you made our way. Good morning, everyone. Um, uh, I, all right, I have a confession. I was going to start off with this with this joke about how um, every year during Thanksgiving they have Brandon speak, and how um, every every time he comes up here the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving he starts off with this joke about how they always assign him this Sunday because there's hardly any people. Um, so I was going to actually start off with that same joke and say like how now that person's me, but um, I actually just realized like literally as I was walking up here that they gave me the dates to choose, and so I chose this date. <laughs> so. I figured I could either come up with something new or just be really honest with you guys about my shortcomings. <laughs> um, but uh, so now that I don't have an intro, we're just going to go straight into it. Um, we've been in the series of Acts, as um, those of you who have been here know, and uh, just Acts being um, a book that gives us kind of an intro or like an overarching. Um, introduction to the picture of the establishment of the universal church, right? The very kind of like the very first um, church movement where they uh, got together and figured out how to do this thing called church. So, um, uh, with that, I just uh, gonna read the passage. And so today we're gonna be looking at the Acts seven, which is the famous um, speech of Stephen and then his stoning. So, lighthearted stuff, no big deal. So, um, actually, before I get into all that, I just, I kind of wanted to, in the spirit of transparency, just be um, even more honest in that, like, I, I will say that this was a really, this was a really heavy passage for me, um, especially in the past day. I just, I feel like I couldn't shake off this feeling of just heaviness and kind of the intensity of um, this, the, the nature of this passage. I don't think uh, especially those of you guys who know this is a passage about death, right? It's, a, it's the first real record of, of a martyr in the New Testament. And so any of you who know or have experienced personal um, deaths, either in your family or your friends, um, you know that uh, death is no joke, right? And it like, gives you it um, as intense as it is. There's a, you, don't, you can't experience something like death and then continue living your life the way you have. It um, makes you reevaluate everything. It's such a contrast to life that there's no way that you can't then um, kind of like zone in on life and the meaning of it and just to, in a sense like make sense of death, right? So um, the reason I am thankful, as, as, as down as I do feel about just the intensity of it, um, I feel also grateful because it's passages like this that help us kind of think through life and give us a hope um, and a reason um, to think about the way we live life and to re- really just examine the state of us right now and, and being alive. So can actually, can everybody just stand with me and we'll read. Um, so it, so we're, we're going to be in Acts 7, but I'm actually just going to read the, the, the last part of Acts 6. So Acts 6 verses 8, I think. I, okay, yeah. Um, just to give us a little bit of a context into Acts 7. And then uh, Stephen's speech is really, really long, so we're not actually going to read the, the, the speech itself. We'll just kind of discuss it together, and then we'll go into the last uh, portion of the, of the chapter. So we'll start in 6, verse 8. Um, 
And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. And I'm actually going to stop there, um, and we'll come back to it. But um, well, you guys can be seated. This is the word of God. Um, sometimes when I read passages in Scripture, I feel so disconnected to it initially that I do this thing, it might be weird, where I kind of, I imagine what it would have been like if I was actually there, like, in person. Whether I was involved in the story or whether I was just, like, a fly on the wall or something, I just try to picture what it would have been like to actually have been there. Um, and, I, and I try to insert, like, as many of my senses as possible, like, everything from, like, what would I have seen, like, how many people might have been there, like, what I would have smelled, even, like, what the temperature could have been. I just, I seriously just try to, like, put everything about me in that particular context just to kind of see if something comes out. And so in this next um, next couple of minutes, I just invite you to do, just kind of, like, close your eyes for a minute and envision what it, like, prepare, prepare your mind to kind of enter yourself into the story. And as we talk about it, kind of, like, imagine what it would have been like to have been there. You can open your eyes now. That was just, I don't know if that helped. Just felt like the right thing to do. <laughs> okay, so um, this was so in Acts. This was this was, and if you think about what had just happened, so Jesus had just come. He had um, done his works. He de- he uh, he got crucified. He rose again, and then he ascended again, right? And then he told the believers that um, he was leaving them with the Holy Spirit. So at this time, the Bible actually says that now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, you can imagine that there was a lot going on. So this whole thing had just happened, and there's all these leaders and people who were, um, who were preaching the word of God, preaching the good news, preaching the gospel, and people were receiving it, and they were responding to it in multitudes. So just a lot happening. Um, and it was also during this time that they were kind of establishing what, uh, it, not just the universal church, but even what like a local church would look like, kind of um, prioritizing preaching and teaching, but also like community service, feeding the poor, just working together to do these things. And actually, um, Daniel shared a little bit about this last week, how there was, I won't go into a lot of detail, but there was two groups, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, and the Hellenistic Jews were actually ones that had left and then come back, and so they were re-entering the land, and they were kind of seen as refugees at the time, and so there was this whole issue because their widows were not being fed, like like in, like in the portion of the church that had what would be like the soup kitchen, they, they were neglecting the widows of the Hellenistic Jews, and so there was a whole dispute about it, saying, uh, and the people were just kind of saying, like, this isn't right, it's not fair. And so the disciples actually got together and decided, okay, which I think is important to note that from the very beginning in the establishment of the church, um, justice work was, 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 was valuable to them, right? And so they, just, they, they kind of put together a system to where this, this wouldn't be an issue anymore, that nobody was being overlooked when they were being fed. So they actually asked the, con- they, they asked the people, they said, pick seven people among you, 
whom you've noticed um, are filled with two things. So these people had two qualifications. One, they had to be wise, and two, they had to be filled with the Spirit. So the people actually gathered together, and they elected seven of um, seven people they kind of picked out that they had noticed that um, were, were filled with the Spirit. And one of those people was a man named Stephen. Um, so Stephen was... Um, Stephen was this man. He kind of like he filled in um, a uh, a deacon type role where he his his job was little. He was he was a hospitality guy, right? So his like his job was to be at this uh, in this this portion of the church where they were serving people. They were doing a lot of um, making sure that the physical needs of the people were getting met. And so, what was happening was he uh, I, and there's not a lot that's being said about what exactly happened during this time where where he was just being himself and then he got seized. But I imagine because he was filled with the Spirit, there's a, there's a part in, in, in um, chapter 6 that says that the fact that he was speaking in wisdom and spirit was um, so upsetting to them. And there were some religious, some of the synagogue leaders were just threatened by the way he was so filled with the Spirit and speaking in wisdom. I think that, I imagine that as he was just doing his basic day-to-day like church duties, he was so filled with the spirit that there's no way he could hold himself back from like speaking truth, right? Like I think it's just the nature of being filled with the spirit, being feeling so passionately about how you the things that you believe that you just speak it. But so who he so what he was doing was a threat to some of the leaders of the synagogue. So they just really, really didn't like him. Um, and so what they did was, in their state of kind of like being in his presence and like not really feeling his vibe, like they were just asked some men that they knew to make up all these stories about him and how he was using blasphemous words against Moses and God. So it made up all these lies about him, got all these people to kind of um, start these accusations against him that was enough for for them to then come and seize him and bring him to a place, um, bring him to the court. And then not only did they make up all these lies about him and had all these folks kind of gather together and just like say that he was saying all these things that he wasn't saying, but they brought him to the court where they the court where they he where they set up fake witnesses, and so like in this court space, there was all these people who had lied about him that brought him there, and then within the court space itself, there was all a whole bunch of fake witnesses who were saying essentially the same thing, um, saying that it was true even though it wasn't. So now we're actually going to go back into the the passage um, where he then gives his famous speech, and so so imagine right you're in, he's he's in this courtroom there are all these people who are angry around him giving him false accusations, false witnesses, and then the high priest says, um, are these things so? He's talking about the accusations. And then Stephen goes into his long, between verses 2 and like 40, 2 and 50, he goes into this whole speech. And so what he's doing right here, he's actually just like giving a breakdown, like a play-by-play of um, the, the history of Israel and how just the details of like God, the various deliverers that God had chosen in the history of detail uh, of Israel, and just details about what had happened during that time and how they were operating. So he he lays it all out. And so as he's doing this in court on trial, the Jewish leaders are there, and it's funny because these stories that he's telling them are not new are not new stories to them. Um, actually, like all these this this narrative that he's laying out there is a narrative that they're very familiar with because they themselves would use these stories and these narratives to give validity to their own teachings, right? So, like, for the longest time, they've used this as a tool to kind of validate who they are um, and their teachings and their authority. But for the first time ever, Stephen is standing up against the institutional Jewish, uh, 
Jewish leaders. And he's saying something completely radically different than what they were always expecting. So for forever, they were using all these stories um, and this narrative to give themselves validity. And he lays it all out. And he talks about um, everybody from Abraham to Joseph to Moses. And he's actually saying that in history, the Jews were never truly actually ever obedient to God. So he's telling them this in court. And he and he, he puts himself in a situation where he's like swimming in such dangerous waters because nobody ever talked to the Jewish leaders like that. And if anything, like these stories were for the longest time used to validate their authority, and he's actually using them to debunk their authority. And he's saying that he's challenging them. He's he's not even saying anything outrageous. He's giving them historical facts, and he's saying, if you look at the history, like if you look at the stories and the things that have happened in history, and you and you like pay attention, you'll notice that that the history of Israel is that the people, in fact, have not ever been obedient to God. And that through, um, and that the stories such as Joseph's, and even though, like, Joseph was supposed to be his brother's deliverers, like, they hated him. And, like, Moses, who led the freedom of Israel, like, they rejected him. And, like, even the prophets who were predicting the coming of the Messiah, like, they had them killed. <laughs> so he's laying it all out there. And he's saying, not only have you rejected the Messiah, but... You've, like, completely failed. Your history is comprised of you guys completely failing to respond to God at all. So if you can imagine, they're not responding to this super well. But we don't know what they're saying or doing yet. At this point in the, in the, in the chapter, he, he takes a little bit of a turn. So he spends 48 verses just kind of laying out the history, like a play-by-play. And then he, he takes a turn in his posture where I noticed. And he says, and this is back to this, the text, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So when I first, when they first, when I first realized I was doing this passage, um, and I knew that Stephen was getting stoned, I, I'll be honest, I got a little nervous because I have a, like a low-key beef with the theology of like the suffering suffering for the sake of Christ, like, I think that, I, I totally understand it, but I think there's oftentimes people find, like, find a, find purpose in suffering more, more than they need to, <laughs> to do, to do the works that they do, because it feels, because it feels like it adds purpose, and I, I think for the longest time, like, I really struggled with this, it just felt so unnecessary to me. Um, when I first I looked over, kind of, like, the, the idea of this passage, I was nervous, because I was like, oh, man, I really hope that I don't find that, you know, Stephen put himself in a situation where he where he could have been, like, just as effective with, like, half the suffering, you know, like, I was, like, just really not in the mood to disagree with his efficiency level, like, it was, like, that would have made this message much harder to preach, um, but I was just reading the passage, and, you know, like, even in seeing his, 
his hospitality role, the role that he played in the church, um, his deacon type role where he was serving the needs of the body, the physical needs of the body. He wasn't, it's not that he was doing anything less than the people necessarily in the forefront who were kind of um, playing more of an offensive role, right? right? Like just kind of preaching and speaking. It was just as, it was just as necessary, just as important, just as powerful. But like, I was like, what crazy thing did Stephen do to get himself in like such a predicament? Like, I just was like, where, like what, what outrageous thing did he like, what, what like disruptive act did he partake in to like get him to this place where he was just like facing all these people who were threatening him and asking him whose side he was on so that they could either get rid of him or get him killed, right? Or I mean like either get him on their side or get rid of him. Um, and it just, I couldn't find anything. Like he didn't, like Stephen did not, Stephen, Stephen worked in the soup kitchen. He didn't do anything outrageous. He just, just, just by the bareness of his fullness and spirit was enough to bring him to the courts to where he had to face opposition. And I realized that the nature of your witness to goodness will automatically put you in opposition to darkness, even if you're not trying to find it. Just the nature alone of your witness to goodness will automatically put you, no matter where you are, in opposition to darkness and evil. And I think it's really significant if you read um, in, in, in chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, before it goes into everything he said about the history of Israel. It says that they looked at his face and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Um, and actually when I was doing that thing where I put myself into the passage and I think about what it would have been like, I looked at this I looked at what would have been his face, and I imagined that maybe he, like, you know, like, looked to the heavens. You know when you think of angels, like, the light comes down? Like, he was, I thought maybe he was, like, looking to the heavens with his eyes closed, and his, like, in my mind, his face was, like, glowing, and then, like, like for, for some reason in my head, he started getting, like, a baby face. I don't know why. I just assume all angels have good skin. <laughs> like, so I, I just imagine this very um, almost peaceful aura about him that, that, that became of him, right before he goes into his speech, right? And then I remembered a couple of years ago, I was giving Bible studies to high school kids, and um, it's funny because no matter what topic I went over with them, like, we did, we seriously did everything. We did, like, you know, the creation, crucifixion, resurrection, like, just a ton of, like, different topical Bible studies. And almost, seriously, almost always in the end when I would ask them if they had any questions, they would always ask me, one or the two or both of these questions. One, um, like seriously, regardless of what topic it was, <laughs> they'd be like, one, why, how did Mary give birth to Jesus if she was a virgin? And then two, they would ask if angels were real, and if they were, what did they do? So I remember the first question I never answered because I didn't really get it, actually. <laughs> but um, the second question I was actually curious about, so I spent some time just studying angels, and there's this theology of, it's called angelology. I didn't know it was a thing until this time. So I took some time to kind of study it, um, look into angels, and it changed my perspective of angels completely, because what I thought of as angels is anything that I thought, uh, like, what I envisioned of was the things that I saw kind of de- depicted in, like, stories or movies or, you know, old paintings where you kind of just see them. They're always so peaceful looking, and they're always dressed in white, and they always have halo. When the little kids dress up as angels, like, when they come up here and they sing, it's like... You know, they have the, the sparkly halos, the white. Like, there's just, there's just a way we think of um, angelic beings that feel light and uh, fluffy almost. And um, that's not the case. So when I was doing this study, I realized that most every time an angel appeared to somebody in scriptures, 
uh, they either came in like a giant, like something intense happened to like announce their coming. Like it was either like a giant uh, light flash or like a giant boom or a sound, something just like crazy um, and, and, and very much just like in your face, right? And almost every time the angels would open their mouths to say something, their, some of their first words were, do not be afraid. So, and also, this was crazy. I didn't know this, but like so many angels are armed. Like, they actually have weapons, like, anything from um, chariots to, like, shields to, like, swords. In fact, um, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, when um, Adam and Eve were exiled and they were, they were on the outskirts of the garden, I, I don't know why, like, I don't know if it's just me or if it's everybody, but, like, I feel like we always pass over this detail that God sent angels to stand at the gates to protect the gates so that they, they or nothing evil could enter back into the garden. And those angels had flaming swords. So they were standing there. It's just funny to me because I'm like, okay, apparently it wasn't enough that the angels had, like, weapons that were swords and most likely sharp. Like, they had to be on fire. <laughs> like, I just, this is, this is the imagery of, of, of what, like, true angels are like in the scriptures. So they're not cute. They're, <laughs> they're terrifying. They're scary. And I hope I never see one. But... <laughs> I think it's really significant to, to take notice that when they looked at his face, they noticed that his face turned to a face of an angel, which when I remembered this, this study, it gave me completely different Im- imagery because when, when I studied, also in the end of that study, I realized the purpose of angels for the most part in scriptures was one of two things. They were either messengers or they were protectors. So they did one of most, most every time you encounter one. That, those, were, those were kind of the two themes of their presence. And so when I looked at, when I thought about it again, and I thought about the face of Stephen that turned into a face of an angel before he gave this speech, I realized, it, I don't think it was this, this moment of peaceful goal. I think he became really ready to give a message. I think he became, I think he became a warrior who, who was ready to give a message and protect something that was good. So, I mean, like, he, he goes, he, it goes from him, his whole speech is, in a sense, just, is him telling these religious leaders that their sin and their rebellion against God and and their rejection of his purposes has characterized their history from the start. And then it's here where he then takes a turn and he looks at them and he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. I don't know what it means that they're stiff-necked people, but when I think of their ears and their hearts being uncircumcised, I think it's really interesting that that, um, that sentence pairs both hearts and ears being uncircumcised. Because I don't think your ears are going to listen to something that your heart doesn't care about. And so when he looks at them and he says, you have uncircumcised hearts and ears, he's saying, you do not care, therefore you are not listening. You don't get it because you don't want to get it. And you never have. And so I don't, I don't know if I've just like been in this passage so much and it's just like, it's just getting to me and I'm, just, I'm starting... I'm starting to overthink everything or what, but, like, um, the more I studied Stephen's response in this, in this message and kind of how he went all about it, uh, the more confused I got, right? Because I was, like, it, it was very specific. There was an order to how he responded, and I, I was confused. I mean, I think, like, basically, like, I think, Stephen, I think Stephen got martyred, like, he basically beasted getting martyred. I don't know if that's appropriate to say. If I get in trouble for it later, that's okay. But I really think, like, how, like, if you think about the thing that you, be, that you believe in so 
so strongly, the thing that you believe in the most, that you would die for it? I don't know what, how do you go about getting martyred for that? Like, like, how, like how does one go about getting martyred? Like, I don't know how in this, in this scenario, as, as, as Stephen, as he is, you don't, I don't think, like, when you're a kid, you don't learn, you don't grow up learning your ABCs, and then, like, you learn how to face martyrdom, right? Like, there's no, like, rubric for how to, like, go into a setting where you have opposition against you, and you're about to lose your life, and so you respond uh, a certain kind of way. And, in fact, like, if you look at the way he responded, he was a three-part thing. Like, he's, he opened with, like, a, he, he basically gave them a history lesson, for one. He spent all this time giving them a history lesson. And then, two, he called them out, saying they're stiff-necked people, where, where their hearts and their ears were uncircumcised. And then he turns around. After all that, he turns around, and then as he's killing him, he advocates for them. Those are three very different responses within one setting and one time. And I don't, I don't understand how, how, he, how he found the, the, the direction, the guidance to, to, to go about it that way. And especially in the middle of how do you process a speech when you're feeling fear and pain and grief and sadness and anger all at the same time? How do you process a speech like that? And then, in fact, if I think about it longer, how, what's he thinking if, 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 like, if he, in the beginning, volunteered to serve humbly, and then just by the deed of his goodness, right, he gets lied to and then accused and then dragged to trial, and then and in trial he's, he's rebuking historical sin, and then while he's doing that, he's, the next thing is he's getting murdered by his haters. And then while he's getting murdered by his haters, he turns around and he advocates for them and asks that none of these be held against them. And then I was like, dang, all that sounds really familiar. <laughs> um, and then it, seeing in the book of Acts, I realized it was an era that took place after the ascension of Christ where Christ said that it is actually better for me to leave and leave you with my spirit than it is for me to stick around, right? And then I realized that this is during this time, while this is all happening, this is the first time ever in human history that the power of God is accessible to people within us. So that for the first time ever, Stephen, Stephen had access to God and his power and his spirit within him and actually had, had divinity living inside of him. And then it made me think back to, um, you know, like the, the narrative of when they were all getting together and they were trying to find seven people from the, from the, from the church to, to, to represent this, this, um, uh, this, this area of ministry. And the only f- qualification was that this person be filled with the Spirit. And the very thing that put him on the radar in the first place was that he was a man filled with the Spirit, which means he was filled with divinity. And so I felt like, for me at least, at that point was when it all kind of made sense. Because there's nothing human about being able to face death with a poised posture. There's nothing human about being in the face of pain and persecution and then advocating for the very people who are, protect- who are pressing you. There's nothing human about, about sticking up for and asking that Nothing be held over the people who are hurting you and killing you. I think the reason Stephen's story looked so much like Jesus' is because 
if he was so, if he himself was so connected to Jesus and so connected to the Spirit, and the Spirit lives in him, it wasn't him there that day acting. It was Jesus acting through him and not the other way around. And so in this life, I think just by the very nature of our witness to goodness, we will face trials. And it, it really is only through divinity and the spirit that in those times, not only can you find yourself speaking words, giving a history lesson that you never thought you could do, but then you are at the same time able to both call out the people who are who oppressed you, who have done wrong, and ask that they be forgiven at the same time. If you are a witness to what is good and just, you will most likely face anger and opposition from outside and inside the church. From all areas, from all places in life, all institutions, religious or non-religious, you will face opposition. I think it's really significant in the times of trial because they will happen that when you look at Stephen's story, it says that Stephen looked into the heavens and being filled with the Spirit, he saw the glory of God. And I think there's a lot of Christians out there, myself included, a lot of times we really miss out on experiencing God's grace because we are so slow to the Spirit and so quick to wage war on our own bitterness and anger and hurt that we say things that were not God's words we do things that we think were right, that we're very human, very human. That we are not, we are not operating out of, a, fulfill, uh, out of a, a fullness of the spirit. And I have to just quote my friend, Jessica Gentry, who actually is sitting right there. Um, but she always tells me this. She tells me this often um, because she holds me accountable. She always says, Shereen, you cannot fight God's battles using Satan's weapons. You cannot fight God's battles using Satan's weapons. And that the same spirit that put you in opposition to darkness is the same spirit that will give you power to overcome it. And then even though for us, specifically in this space, I think for all of us, trials and um, facing darkness will look differently and carry itself out differently in all our different lives and um, who we are in the circles that we run in. I think sometimes it'll look like us feeling like we're standing up to certain people. Um, it'll feel like we're standing up to institutions or, um, I mean, diseasing, poisonous ideologies. I think it looks different. But Luke 12 says that when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And the gift of Jesus is that we can look into the heavens and see the Spirit and actually operate in very heavenly manners in a very, very earthly setting. Hebrews 2, 14, 15 says that we have been freed from the fear of death and that death no longer has its sting. When I look back at the story of Stephen with, in light of all of this, in light of, of the accessibility to, to, to power through the spirit, through what Jesus has done, through his ascension in this, in this post-ascension era, in this Acts time, 
it makes so much more sense how he was able to do it. And the same spirit that lives Jesus, that is Jesus, that empowered Stephen is actually the same spirit that is given to you and me today. Jesus, I just I just pray for everyone in this space, God. I thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would just allow us to see you, look in the heavens and see you. Allow us to be so filled with your spirit. Let us not overcome evil with darkness, but let us overcome evil with good. In your name I pray. Amen.
So 